This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. We read the verse, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And just as a brief overview, we talked about the first part of that verse. If my people, and we said about how it's a challenge to our will, is the word if. If, and it automatically brings a challenge to us. It's not that we can't, it's a case of if we will. And God was looking for his people, it says my people, called by my name. There is no other people that God has called to pray, to repent, to turn from their wicked ways and seek the face of the Lord than his people. And we are his people and God is calling us to that. We're to call upon him and we're to get rid of our, our self-sufficiency because God, there's no place for self-sufficiency in the kingdom of God. He is the king and he is the all-sufficiency. Jesus, or Paul says about how God said to him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, my grace and it's telling us that God is the all-sufficient one. And we have to realize tonight that God is our all-sufficiency. And there's no place for our sufficiency. We have to be trusting fully in him. And that's where God wants to bring us to. A place of, of, of trusting fully in him. We're to humble ourselves and we're to pray and we are to seek his face. And we're to turn from his, our wicked ways. We talked about how David prayed the prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. And how David was praying that prayer, not just as lip service to God, but he was asking God to search him deeply with the intention that he was going to turn from those wicked ways because he wanted to walk in the way that was everlasting. And that's just a brief overview because I want to come to the second part of that verse. I said to the guys before we started, I don't think I'll be really long tonight, but Yule says don't tell people that because then you put yourself <laughs> under pressure. But I'm going to try. But I want us to get, hear what God is saying tonight to us. And it's slightly different tonight. Um, I want to concentrate just on the second part of that verse, but just slightly in a different way. Where God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. What a promise from God. What a wonderful promise from God. And I want to 
what I want to do tonight is I want to describe some things to you. I want to describe some things to you tonight that should give us hope. Now, as I'm reading these out, you're going to say, that's not very hopeful, Martin. But bear with me. These things should give us hope in our day and our age. I want to describe something to you. I want to describe America to you in the early 1700s. And scholars back then and people in the church said if God did not intervene, that Christianity would die out in the United States. If God did not intervene, that Christianity would die out in the United States. What were the conditions like then? What were the conditions like in society? What were the conditions like in the church in those days? And I want us to see these tonight from the perspective to give us, a, a, us hope that God can still do great things. What were the conditions? There was a great moral decline. It said there uh, that in those days, in the population roughly of America was about 5 million. I'm talking the early 1700s. Of which they say that there was 300,000 of them were drunks. Now that's some, some number when you're thinking about 5 million people. In the state of Kentucky, there was a whiskey rebellion. Now these things might sound strange to us, but when we think today of what society is like here today, especially in this, in this way, there was a whiskey rebellion that ended up in gun battles. There was sexual license. The increase in sexually transmitted diseases was rampant. And this is the early 1700s. There was lawlessness, profanity, and the decline of truth in all levels of society. There was hardly truth. In some of the states and some of the towns, it says that there was one court in session in five years. Not just one court, one, one case in a space of five years in one court. One scholar put it, says it was as if the dregs of infidelity had been vomited upon the nation. Pretty stark way of putting it, but I think it describes it well. As if the dregs of infidelity vomited upon the nation. There was unrestrained license to debauchery. Gambling. This, this, can't get my teeth through in this. That's it. <laughs> what pastor said there. So it was... There was no moral restraint. That's what that means. No moral restraint, especially in sexual conduct and ignoring accepted rules or standards. Anything went and anything goes. It's said in the, in, in, in the great universities that the typical student was an atheist and Christians met in secret in these schools. It talks about the time of the Civil War, General Lee. I know there's a big debate about the, the flag and stuff at the moment. But he said that churches were standing in the way of progress. Churches were standing in the way of progress. 
What were the churches like? They were losing thousands per year. One bishop declined to become archbishop because he said the church was too far gone to be redeemed. This is within the church. One church historian says, it looked as if Christianity was about to be ushered out of the affairs of man. That's America in the early 1700s. What was Britain like then? It says Britain was so degenerate. The statesmen were notorious for their debauchery. Anything went. The poor behaved like brute beasts. What does it say about the clergy? It said they were full of hypocrisy and worldliness. One prime minister that talked about his drunkenness and his foul talk were not regarded as a discredit to him. His drunkenness and his foul talk were not regarded as a discredit to him. And we live in society today and you can act whatever way you want, it seems, and it's a credit to you. There was riots, there was looting, talked about there was gin shops, illegal bars. They advertised you get drunk for a penny and dead drunk for two pennies. What does it say about the clergy? J.C. Ryle talks about the vast majority of them were sunk in worldliness and neither knew nor called anything or cared anything about their profession. They hunted, they shot, they farmed, they swore, they drank, and they gambled. Their sermons were generally preached to empty benches and were unspeakably bad. This is the church of Jesus Christ in Britain in those days. There was attacks upon the church by the learned men. They spoke about the church, they attacked it. The church was to be taken for granted. It was to be discouraged to even go and, and, and attend the church. It said it had been proved that Christianity was fictitious. The church was preoccupied with self-defense that it neglected the gospel to the world. It neglected the gospel of Jesus Christ for the world. Voltaire in those days, and pastors quoted this often, he says, Christianity will cease to exist within the next generation. That was Britain in the early 1700s. 1857 in New York, it talked about how New York was a place of great riches and decadence. Not so like it today. But there was a growing carelessness towards spiritual matters among, them, among the people. They cared more about the fashion of those days, the riches of those days. One man says you could get a return on your money in those days of 18%. I used it sort of maybe invest your money with, you would really love 18%. Returning your money. This is, was the riches that was in New York in those days. But they were careless about their spiritual lives. 1949 in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland, it talks about a growing carelessness towards spiritual matters among the younger generation. In the high school, some people were actually speaking of conversion as the plague, something from which to keep away at all costs. What's it like today? 
Well, listen, everything I read there to you, we could pin upon today. We could pin everything upon today. Drunkenness, drugs, sexual, it's just sexual sins are rampant. Everything. The church sometimes seems to have been given a very, very mixed message. A very mixed message. And it looks as though the church, and the church is under great attack. But I wanted to, I read all of that to ask you, can God change that? Can God do anything about that? And the reason I give you the dates, early 1700s, 1857 in New, in New York, 1949 in Outer Hebrides. And there's countless other dates in between that. But God brought revival. In those times, God brought great revivals where God changed nations and continents. And that's why I want us to be encouraged tonight that God can do it again. God sent revival. Great awakenings that swept hundreds of thousands in America, in Britain, in Ireland, and millions around the world came to know God, came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Changed nations, dead churches to spirit-filled churches. On fire for God. And I want us to see tonight that there is a hope for this land. Thinking specifically about this land, because this is where we dwell. This is where we live. Can God do it again? Can God bring revival to this land again? Can God change this nation? The Bible says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? The nation of Israel, when we go back into the Bible, God had scattered them because of their sin. He had scattered them to nations, into Assyria. They'd been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And it looked as though there was no hope for them. But God says, I can do it. In one day. Now whether that's a literal one day, but he can start to change it like that. He can start to change this land like that. There is a hope. I think of Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. And God says, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel says, only you know, Lord. And then he starts to speak to the dry bones. And flesh and sinew starts to come upon those dry bones. God causes them to live again. Dry bones. You see the, 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 the emphasis there? They're dry bones. But even God can cause that to live again. 
And we should be encouraged tonight. Is there work to be done? Yes. That was the first message I preached. But I want us to encourage us that it's worth it. The dry bones can live again. God can give the heart of stone and make it anew and make it a heart of flesh and put his laws upon our hearts. Let me just read a couple of verses. This is what the children of Israel said when God turned again onto them and brought revival to their land and brought them back. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, burying the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We were like those who dream. And maybe tonight for you, and for myself, sometimes it seems like, can this really happen? And name of God, we believe and we pray and we seek God's face. And I even believe when it does come, it'll be like a dream to us. But what a dream to have. What a dream to have when God can restore us again. What happened when God moved? What happened when God moved? Let me just read you a couple of wee extracts and excuse me for just reading a few passages but I think they say it better than I can ever say it this is what happened in the Hebrides in 1949 it says the Christians longed to see a renewed manifestation of God's power this was evident in the earnestness of the weekly prayer meetings and in the conversation of God's people when they met together a church declaration that time deplored the low, low state of vital religion within the bounds of the presbytery as well as throughout the land and appealed especially to the young people seriously to consider the end should there be no repentance but as Duncan said Duncan Campbell was a man who was mildly used he says desire for rival, revival is one thing but confident anticipation that a desire will be fulfilled is another and just as he says there about young people you know as if the young people in our generation have no time whatsoever for the things of God not them all, but it's the exception more than the rule. It's as if there's no interest. We have come up in a generation, and seen a generation that has come up that really were never sent to Sunday school where the things of God were a no-no. But God can still turn things around. But then it says, gradually in many praying hearts, concern deepened into a conviction that God's time to favor them with a further outpouring of the Holy Spirit had come. Prayer was intensified and faith encouraged. Expectation grew that something would happen. In one village, a minister received a promise from God that there would be a harvest gathered in his congregation. His wife also had a dream in which she saw a church filled with anxious people and a strange minister in the pulpit. Further along the coast in a small cottage by the roadside in the valley of Barvis lived two elderly women, Peggy and Christine Smith. 
They were 84 and 82 years old, respectively, and spoke only Gaelic. Peggy was blind and her sister almost bent double with arthritis. Unable to attend public worship, their humble cottage became a sanctuary where they met with God. To them came the promise, I will pour water upon them that is upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, which they pleaded day and night in prayer. One night, Peggy had a revelation similar to the dream of the minister's wife. Revival was coming and the church of her fathers would be crowded again with young people. She sent for the minister, the Reverend James Murray Mackay, and told him what God had shown her, asking him to call his elders and deacons together for special times of waiting upon God. And then it goes on to say, but faith had one more test. The invitation to preach in Barvis was only one of many that reached Duncan Campbell from different sources that year. He was already committed to continuing his work in Sky. In fact, he was arranging a holiday convention in, in, in Broadford for the following year and regarded this as confirmation to remain on Sky. Those at headquarters desiring to lend moral support to his decision advised him to write to Mr. Mackay saying that he was not free to visit Lewis that winter, but would do so at a later date if the door was still open. Meanwhile, Duncan had second thoughts. He felt now that there was something different about the appeal from Barvis and was inclined to accept it. A reversal of purpose similar to that of Paul and Timothy when they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And then it goes on. Higher hands were already at work engineering circumstances in a way no one could have foreseen. That is, with the exception of Peggy. She knew God's secrets. When, Doc, when Mr. Mackay told her that a second appeal to Duncan had produced no further response and that he was unable to come, she replied, that's what man says. God has said otherwise. Right again, he will be here within a fortnight. Listen, when God starts to move upon people of prayer, to us, strange things start to happen. But God orchestrates things. And we get to know him in prayer and get to seek his face and he will start to speak. I only read these things, forgive me for reading them, but I want to encourage us that God still does great things. His first contact, he's just arrived, his first contact with the men of Barvis convinced him that he was in the company of those who were living on a high spiritual plane. As he walked down the village road next day, his sensitive spirit quickly discerned that God was at work. He realized that revival had already come. It would be his privilege to share in it. That night he preached from Matthew 25 on the wise virgins, challenging the Christians to the responsibility towards those who were asleep in sin. Dust rose from the pulpit cushion as he warmed up to his subject. There, far here mused, there is far here mused an elder who felt so convicted that instead of going home, he walked across the moor to kneel by a peat bank and pray that God would meet him afresh. A solemn hush came over the church the following night when Duncan turned this time to the foolish virgins. The service closed in a tense silence and the building emptied. As he came down from the pulpit, a young deacon raised his hands and moving it in a circle above his head whispered, Mr. Campbell, God is hovering over. He is going to break through. I can hear already the rumblings of heaven's chariot wheels. Just then the door opened and an elder beckoned, come and see what's happening. 
the entire congregation was lingering outside, reluctant to disperse. Others had joined them, drawn from their homes by an irresistible power that they had not experienced before. There were looks of deep distress on many faces. Suddenly a cry pierced the silence. A young man who had remained in the church, burdened to the point of agony for his fellow men, was pouring out his desire and prayer. He was overcome that he fell into a trance, and as he lay prostrate on the floor, the congregation swept back into the church. The awful presence of God brought a wave of conviction of sin that caused even mature Christians to feel their sinfulness, bringing groans of distress and prayers of repentance from the unconverted. Strong men were bowed under the weight of sin and cries for mercy were mingled with shouts of joy from others who had passed into life. A mother was standing with her arms around her son, tears of joy streaming down her face, thanking God for his salvation. Oh, praise the Lord, you've come at last. Prayers of years were answered. What a wonderful thing when God comes in. We're going to see answers to prayers that we've long been praying for. Just let me read just a couple more wee passages. It's hard to pick out what to read because there's so much. But this is just one of the things of conviction when God comes, when people are really convicted for sin. The agony of conviction was terrible to behold, but Duncan rejoiced knowing that out of the deep travail would be born a rich, virile Christian experience, unlike the cheap, easy-going believism that produces no radical moral change. An old man underlined this in the prayer when he said bluntly, Lord, now that you have us in the big pot, boil us well. A Christian woman showed her distaste for premature professions when her husband came under conviction. Distressed and unable to sleep, he walked the roads day and night, asking everyone to pray for him. Then an elder, fearing the man was losing his sanity, asked Duncan to visit him. Arriving at the croft in the early hours of the morning, after returning from a service in another village, he found a prayer meeting in progress in the kitchen. I understand your husband is in distress of soul, he said to his wife. It's about time, it's about time, she replied, and took him to the bedroom door. Her husband was kneeling at the bedside with his head in his hands, unconscious of their presence, crying, Oh God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. She waited a moment, then closed the door determinately. There he is, Mr. Campbell. There he is, the mighty sinner. Let him take his belly full. Crude language, but she was only anxious that God would do a deep lasting work in her husband's life. Next morning, prayer was answered when the overwhelming peace and joy of pardon reached him. That's real conviction. Real conviction. Just last one more. Duncan knew the danger of allowing human sympathy to interfere with the work of the Spirit and offered no superficial comfort to those in distress. He was called one night to the house of a young woman who was so perturbed that the local doctor certified her as insane and advised taking her to the hospital. The girl was under the impression that she had committed the unpardonable sin. And when Duncan entered the room, she screamed, God has forsaken me. My soul is going to be with the devil. Duncan, prompted by the spirit, replied, I'm glad to hear you say that. How can you, Mr. Campbell, interrupted the distraught father. How can you say that when she's in such a state? Well, Duncan explained, when God leaves a soul, he takes his fear with him. 
but she still has the fear of God, if she is afraid of being forsaken. Instantly, the hope of mercy dawned upon the girl. She looked to the cross and found release. Her spiritual bands unloosed and her tortured mind at rest. The overjoyed father sent word to the doctor saying, what medicine could not do, grace has accomplished. Amen. Praise the Lord. These are the things that we want to see God do. We want to see God move. In the Ulster Revival, just some quote, such, such a time of secret and public prayer without number, of deepest solemnity, burning earnestness for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and for the conversion of souls. You see where prayer comes into it. Every one of these revivals was born out of prayer. Born out of prayer. And then when God came, prayer meetings just increased and increased and increased. And if there's one meeting and one thing in our own lives that many times is sadly lacking is prayer. But when God puts us the burden of prayer, let's answer that burden because God wants to do something. It says about in the Elsie Revival, great conviction came. The arrow of conviction pierces the conscience. The heart swells near to bursting. A heavy and intolerable burden passed down, this passed, pressed down upon the spirit and the burdened, burning heart, unable to contain any longer, burst forth in the piercing cry of distress, saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on my sinful soul. Two great truths take full possession of the mind. Namely, man is a sinner under judgment unto condemnation, and Jesus is the almighty Savior to deliver. And faith in him, the way of obtaining blessing, no mixed messages there. When God comes and convicts, he does the job well. It says the wild and the wicked and godless characters whom no human power could remodel are now to be seen sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in their right mind. They are walking with Christ, caring for the one thing needful and living, living for the noblest object of life, the glory of God. Drunkenness, Sabbath breaking, blasphemy, profanity, and neglect of great salvation have all been eradicated. The tone of public morals is enlightened, sanctified, and elevated. The things of God are the subject of daily normal conversation. We started with the breakdown of society, profanity, drunkenness, blasphemy. But when God comes, he turns that all around. When God breaks through, he turns that all around. We need to see that. Now we're thinking and we're talking about things that in practice are alien to us. But the word of God says it is possible. The word of God makes a promise if we meet the conditions. We need to see revival in our land. We need to see revival in our land. 
And that's all I wanted to do tonight, was stir us up to let us know that there is a hope. And it's easy when we look at situations in the world and we think, it's too far, it's gone too far. That God is able. God is greater. We sung a song tonight, new song there, just in a time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear. There is only one foundation. In this broken generation, when all dark, when all is dark, you help us see there is only one salvation. I believe God wants to break through. I believe God wants to bring revival to this land again. And I don't say that lightly. I believe He wants to do it. But it is going to cost. But listen, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, every family relation you can think of. God can bring to salvation, can bring to Christ. Listen, we are the church of Jesus Christ. These are the things that we have to believe that our God can do. And if we don't, what is our point and our purpose? The gospel is the hope of the nation. That's it. It's not the government. It's not anybody else. It is the gospel. Psalm 85 says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Listen, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Verse 6, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? There's our prayer. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I shared stories tonight. There's hundreds of stories I could share. But I didn't want to get into the stories that we focus on the stories. I want us to see that we need God. That God can change things. There's a if. And it's about our will. But then God says, then God says. God wants us to seek his face because he wants to bring his presence back again. And he's only going to do it through his people. There's no one else, just his people. And that's us. Duncan Campbell talked about the Hebrides revival. And he says, he was describing the atmosphere. I want to finish just with that small sentence. It was a community saturated with God. And he was talking little, it was felt. It was felt. 
a community saturated with God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see our community saturated with God and to see God's name glorified again? You know, over this couple of messages, I just believe that's what God has put in my heart. But sometimes I don't believe in it. That's not me. God puts things in our hearts because he wants to do something. He's challenging us because he wants to do something wonderful. He is a wonderful God who wants to do something wonderful. There's nothing else other way I can put that. He is a wonderful God who wants to do something wonderful. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just sung a song earlier. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. He is stronger. Stronger, and he can restore anything if his people call upon his name. Lord, I want to thank you for your word tonight. I want to thank you for your word over these last couple of nights, Lord God. Lord, I pray that your people would hear what your spirit is saying. Lord, we ask that you would revive us again. Lord, under this roof, even just under this roof, would you revive us again? Because, Lord, we kid ourselves if we think we don't need revived. But, Lord, we would ask you tonight to revive us again, that we may glory in you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Lord, our land needs you. Our families need you. Our friends need you. Our parents, our grandparents, our children, our cousins, our uncles need you, Lord. Because without you, Lord, they're going to a lost eternity. Lord, hell is the only thing that awaits them without Christ. Lord, would you revive us again that we may be a witness for you in this town, in this area, Lord God. Let revival fires come again. Lord, kindle them again that we may see great things and give glory and honor to you. Lord, we praise you and we worship you that you are a loving God, that you are a caring God. Lord, touch us tonight. Move us over these next days, over these next weeks, over these next months. Lord, give us that spirit of prayer to find you and to seek your face and to call upon your name. Lord, touch your people in this building tonight and let your name be glorified in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.